Welcome to the Messy Middle podcast and radio show presented by Mother and Founder Co. Each month, guests are invited to share their version of the messy middle and the lessons they've learned along the way. Whether you're in the messiness of growing a business, healing from trauma, or navigating the wild world of parenting, this show is a must. We are excited to celebrate the messiness of life and business with you. And now, let's settle in as host Jen Burwell connects us with today's guests. Well, hello, everyone. Today, we have a different kind of show, a special show. Um, I am actually going to be the guest today. And I am so, so incredibly honored. I can't think of a better person in the world to have alongside for this conversation. And we have Karen Nowicki, owner of Phoenix Business Radio X and iNudge. So Karen, thank you for being here and having this conversation. I wouldn't have it any other way. Of course. So what I wanted to do today is today is um, the last Messy Middle podcast episode. And I'm sure if you follow me on social media or we've had conversations, you have seen that I am making a transition. And I wanted to talk through that and share just kind of where I am and give us a bigger update, but also just kind of talk through the process that I went through. Um, because I am definitely in the messy of the messy middle. And I thought perhaps by sharing my process and thoughts, it might help anyone else who is going through a big transition as well. So I'm going to turn it over to our host for today's episode, Karen, to help lead me through this messy conversation. Yeah, and I'm going to hand it right back to you here in a second. Maybe let's start with an intention. What is your intention? If we could just pause for a second and What's your intention for our listeners and viewers? What do you want them to walk away with? Yeah, that's a great question and thought. So my intention in doing this is really to help people navigate big change or transition. But what came to me right now when you ask and you always say take the first thing is really just that it's okay to have transitions. That when we think we're on a path, And sometimes we're so committed to that path that it can feel like that's our only option and it doesn't always have to be and that it's okay to make changes, even if they're unexpected. I love that. And I got ease and grace. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The messy middle, and you and I have many conversations around doing life messy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We're great advocates for each other, asking the right set of questions while it feels messy to us, you and I both have been witnesses to each other that while, you know, either one of us is struggling, the other one is like, well, you're making it look easy. <laughs> we know that's not, it doesn't always feel that way. Uh, so my my offering and my intention as I support you in this conversation today is around ease and grace. Thank you. So yeah, so let's have you, for those who may not have been following uh, and are here for the first time, or maybe have been out of pocket since you've made this decision, why don't you uh, begin by sharing the change that you are making, but make your announcement. Yes. So I have decided to accept a role at the Southwest Autism Research and Resource Center, otherwise known as SARC, here locally in Phoenix as a vice president of operations. And how this came about is they have been a client of mine, um, first through Mac 6, where I previously worked. 
And then um, as a client of mine, as I made my transition for five years, so I've gotten to know the executive leadership team really, really well. And you'll allow me to share this story. It, it is a big piece of the magic of the world and, and how things work. So when my first, my oldest son was diagnosed with autism, within a month's time, I was getting some feedback from his teacher that, you know, maybe there were some social things and he wasn't connecting and, and we should maybe reach out to somebody and, and talk to somebody. And at that same time, we were putting on, helping put on an event called Summon Substance, which is a storytelling event for leaders. And were you at that event? Karina? I wasn't, but I, I, I'm familiar with it. You guys have yes. referred to it many times. Yes, it's a very impactful, powerful series. And then we've done it a couple of times. This time was at the Phoenix Children's Museum. And we had a list of incredible speakers, including Courtney Klein from Seed Spot. I believe Kimber Lanning um, spoke. There was, there was high-powered speakers. And one of the speakers was Danny Openden, which is the CEO of Sark. And as he was sharing the story of this child and the work that he did and why he's so passionate about the work, I was sitting in my chair and I'm, I'm not kidding. It looked, it felt like I was having an outer body experience and he was talking to me. It was like, you know, when the whole world zooms out, there's no one else. And it's just me and him, even though there's hundreds of people. And it was the first time all of this stuff was starting to click where I was like, oh, maybe this helps explain some things that are going on. Previous to that conversation in that night, I had I'd loosely heard of autism, but I had never really understood what it was or had any real connection to it. So I went home. That really motivated me to get the evaluations that we needed. And then coincidentally, um, Scott McIntosh, owner of Mac6, was meeting with Danny to talk about strategic planning. And Scott came to me and said, hey, will you come with me and meet with this team? Because I really want you to take the lead on this. Um, I'm, you know, I'm busy with some other things working at Max, with Max 6 and I, I want you to come meet. And so I met the team and within a week of us meeting agreeing to do strategic planning, I received the diagnosis that Jack was on the autism spectrum and Danny and his team literally took my hand and said, don't worry, like we've got you, we'll help you navigate this very complicated system. And it was a parallel path that I don't think was coincidental. So they've been along with me from my entire journey. They helped me. I've done many of the programs at SARC. I really, uh, they really helped me advocate and be as knowledgeable as I am and navigate the complicated system um, that is getting help and support for autism for Jack. And then a few years later, my middle son was also diagnosed. And so it's obviously very close to my heart and the team is incredible. They are all such powerful leaders. And so I, I really, really enjoy them. And when this opportunity came up and Danny and I had long conversations, it felt like it was really aligned to, to me and my personal goals. And I had to make a really, really tough decision. And that's what I want to talk about today is I had a very specific path that I was headed on that I loved wholly. And that's the thing that's complicated about myself. And, and maybe I think you can relate for sure, Karen, is I'm passionate and love so many things. <laughs> And so figuring out which is the right path and when was a really emotional, complicated mental gymnastics exercise. But um, I really just had to trust what was in my heart and what felt was right for us and our family. So for context, before I ask the question around how do you make such a decision, if you if you can speak to that, for context for people who might be getting to know you for the first time in this conversation, uh, how old is Jack now? 
So Jack is um he's eight. He's eight. And he when when did you kind of have the di- the opportunity to have him diagnosed and be introduced to Sark? The timeline was this. He similar. was it was right before he turned three. So he okay. was like two and nine months. Okay. Wow. So you've been in relationship with them for a while mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, of course, on your own journey with it. So, okay, good. Thank mm-hmm. you. So, yeah, let's talk about the decision-making journey. It's been emotional, you said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you've ha- put you poured your heart and soul into Mother and Founder Co. Mm-hmm. And in under that umbrella, you do so many things for so many people, business owners, mm-hmm. founders, executive leaders, mothers <laughs> who are in transition, mm-hmm. folks who are working through trauma. Everyone looking to be a better version themselves or organizationally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How does that decision come about when you've been offered this opportunity to even mm-hmm. interview and, and, and you know, consider this? Mm-hmm. And I have the inside scoop because I got to, you know, hold your hand a little wow. bit and, and be a champion and cheerleader also wanting to yes. pull you back. <laughs> mm-hmm. Truth be told, what does that decision-making journey look like? Yeah. So it was interesting. And this might be part of a productive trauma response, if you will, because in stressful situations, I'm able to compartmentalize. And so part of that was happening. So I had like these parallel worlds happening, right? I have this first world where when the opportunity came up and I was talking through it, it felt so aligned for both my professional growth goals and also mission focused. And I started in nonprofit professionally. So Part of it felt like um, I were like coming home. I've always been very mission focused, purpose focused. It's what drove me to conscious capitalism, Max Six. Like there's that theme throughout my career. Um, so I was really leaning into, okay, universe, I have either path, and I am genuinely good with either path. There, there wasn't a loser losing option for me, so that was nice. But I. I really was like, I'm going to go all in and trust that the path will become clear. So I told myself in the early on that I'm not pushing any of this. And I really just want to see how things unfold and be an observer in the steps. And if it becomes really hard or complicated or starts to not feel right in my gut, then I'll know that just continuing on this path, this entrepreneurship path that I'm on is a better option. And as I just watched it, literally like magically unfolded and there wasn't ever really a difficult point in the decision and and going through the interview process and meeting with the team and talking through all that that all worked really really um smoothly so I was like okay I'm I'm looking for signs these feel like good signs but then when I got the actual offer letter and it came time to review your six page job description and sign on a dotted line, that's where this other piece really came in. And so the other pieces that I had to work through, one was I really, and even after I made the decision and was good with the decision, I started to have a lot of these feelings of feelings of failure, of feelings like in this world and community that I still deeply love and care about of entrepreneurship, I'm no longer, I'm an outsider again. And I felt like if I wasn't continuing on to build this business, then somehow that was, that was failing. And that was really hard. And I'm still working through a lot of that. When I talked to my husband, who we had just brought him on a couple months before all of this happened, it feels like I've worked so hard for two and a half years 
and I'm giving it all up or I'm failing. And it took some time to realize that it's not a failure that to your point, I keep having to remind myself of all of the good things that did come from the time. But then the second piece is letting everybody down. That is what's even harder than this failure piece is I realized, and this I also think is a result of some of my trauma response that that I really have a hard time of letting other people down to the detriment of myself and having to have conversations with everyone and even the potential of disappointment has been really, really hard. People have been asking for things that, well, let's have one more meeting or let's let's do one more session or let's do, and I'm literally out of days. I mean, I have like two more working days. And so I've had to start saying no. And that has been really, really, really hard. Hooray. Uh, <laughs> Hooray that it's been really, really hard. Yeah. And how fascinating that when you had clarity around, I'm going to lean in and I'm going to trust this process to make the decision, that you really held onto that. And it was, I don't know, smooth is the right word, but I heard you say that it was fairly easy um, going through the interview process, con- considering things, looking at the possible transition or maybe choosing to say no and, and not doing it if, if the offer you know, wasn't where it needed to be for you with all the things being considered. And then once you were faced with the agreement or the contract and the decision, like, okay, yes, I am doing this. Then some of the the feelings and the old stuff showed up. Who am I letting down? I don't like letting people down. I don't like not not following through on things, all all of that. So there's something there for all of us in that. Even when we we know we've been led to the right decision, even if it's sometimes a jarring or a, a decision that takes us in a completely different path that we didn't expect, emotions can show up. Mm-hmm. And you've referred to trauma response a couple of times as you've been talking through this. Can you, for our listeners who, again, are, are don't know you or trauma work, how would you define that as it relates to this scenario and these decisions that you've been making? Yeah, that's a great question. So trauma responses for me are responses or coping mechanisms that we develop in response to something that was traumatic for our body. So a lot of times they are really important, especially if the trauma is going on, they help us survive. But at a certain point, they become less useful or can get in our way. And so I have been really working through with your help, um, releasing the, the responses that no longer serve me because I am not that, you know, that child that needs to be protected anymore or whatever the example may be. But there are some things that I believe that you learn through traumatic experiences that can be continue to be beneficial. It's just that review process of what is serving you now and what is no longer serving you. Let's release the things that are no longer serving you. I believe that a lot of my persistence and tenacity and resilience comes from things that I've experienced. But I also am learning, beginning to understand that my need for achievement and approve all of others, and this fear of boundaries and letting people down is also a response of some of, uh, partly some of the things that I've experienced. And I'm really trying, this opportunity has given me the, the chance to really look through and say, are these serving me? And what is here? And why am I so afraid of letting people down? And how, why is setting the boundary so uncomfortable for me? 
and what could serve me better and, and really digging into that. And so for the first time, this is the first experience that I've been through. I'll say, quote unquote, on the other side of doing some healing. I don't think there's really another side. I think I'm like over one little hump ready for the next mountain to climb. But I've been able to really be an observer through this process yes. and observe what's happening to me and everyone around me as well, because this has impacted many people. And to look, take it as information and not so much of like being in the reactive state. I've tried to be more in the, oh, this is interesting. And emotions come, as we know, in very unexpected times, right? I'm, I'll be like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm good, I'm good. And then I'm in my car bowling my eyes out and I'm like, what is happening? And so I've let myself, when I've felt those times, I've allowed myself to have that space to work through it and to be curious and not to try to necessarily fix it or judge it, just to just be curious about it. So that's been a, a really cool process to go through and to be able to experience that. And that is, I mean, I credit that all to the work that you and I have done together and being able to do my work to be more present in this experience. Super excited for you and proud at the same oh. time. And, and, Clearly, you've been there for me as well, so it's great that we can share this work. Becoming an observer and or a witness to ourself is everything. I had the opportunity to be on Hilke Faber's show, Rooted Unwavering, recently, and we talked about connectedness. And we talked about just that, right? How to, how to work through these, um, these life moments that feel crunchy and difficult, whether they were expecting them or they come unexpectedly. How do we show up in that? And you and I have have learned and will continue to learn to your point. This is always about peeing, peeling back the layer of the onion. I don't think we're ever there, even though, gosh darn it, I sure wish I could say, yay, I have it all figured out. It's never, nothing's ever going to, you know, frustrate me or create chaos in my life again. Yeah, really. That's exactly when you invite in opportunities to go, really? Let me show you. But I hear so many things in what you're sharing. I heard, I heard you say when you were talking about really, when I asked you, like, what is this announcement? What are you, what are you shifting to? What are you changing? And you explained uh, your new role. Congratulations, by the way. I think it is perfect yeah, for you. you. They're very lucky to have you. You yeah. said, I'm really good at compartmentalizing when you began to talk about the decision-making process. And that has been a gift of your life's experiences, some of which came from traumatic experiences. And then I also heard you say in, in summarizing when I said, okay, so what was the decision-making process like? You also then said, there are other aspects of trauma that I've become aware of that may or may not serve me any longer. The okay. people pleasing, the afraid to fail or to let people down, those kinds of things. I know I'm, I'm using different words. And it's the story that we tell ourselves, right, Jen? It's the story that we tell ourselves that's, that's, everything. And and what I hear you saying is you are being a witness to your decision-making and the emotions as they're showing up. You're giving yourself permission to feel the emotions, giving them an opportunity to pass through your body, and then making choices from that point forward. Is that how you would break down kind of the decision-making process? Is, am I missing something? Uh, or is there an area that you would like to highlight for our listeners who, again, may not be as familiar as this work and this approach to life and, and how we show up? No, I think that was a good summary. I think what was interesting for me, what keeps showing up for me is when this was all super secret and can't talk about it and this may or may not happen, it was exciting. And it was like, okay, I've made this decision. This is what I'm going to do. 
But then like the second it had to be public is where I ran into trouble where, so it was, it was an interesting thing. It was like, I want to secretly do what I want to do. But then if I have to tell people and be accountable to this decision, that feels scary, which I can't really remember a time. I'm sure there has been that I've felt that way. So I'm thinking through in that decision, like in that part of the decision-making process, it wasn't the hard part to make the decision. And to your point, for those of you that may not be as familiar with the process, really what got me there so clearly was trusting myself, was listening to myself, was listening to my body. I had good friends, you included, that said, through this process, just tune in, like see what happens when you at every step of the process, do you feel like tightness in your stomach? Do you feel uneasy? Do you feel some tension? Like explore it. It doesn't necessarily mean it's bad, but like understand maybe what it is. And of course I was nervous in interviews. So another week, the day the night before I broke out in like hives all over my face and body. So <laughs> there was some body response there. Right. But there's a knowing that we all have inside of us. And my knowing told me that this was the right path. Does knowing then, come from, oops, sorry. No, go ahead. Sorry. Does knowing come from your head and your thinking mind? Where does this knowing that you're talking about come from? Because I hear you talking about body, right? And I think we can all relate. Like I'm feeling, <clears throat> excuse me, this body sensation. I'm feeling this movement in my body. And, and you and I both know that not everybody can identify that. And yeah. so again, it takes work and practice. But speak to the the voice, the inner voice or the knowingness. Where is that coming from? And how do you how have you practiced tapping into that so that this particular journey of decision making, those skills were available to you? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's, it's definitely not my thinking mind. My thinking mind will give me all the stories, will tell me all the reasons why or why not. It is a deep feeling. It's really hard to articulate. If you have better words, please tell me what it feels like for you. But for me, it comes from like my solar plexus or like my center of my body, my gut. And it's just this core reassurance. Sometimes it feels like warmth when I'm on the right track, but it's just this confidence that it really, again, it's not a thinking thing, but it, it's this knowing that I have that's like, don't worry, I've got you type of feeling. Mm. What does it feel like for you, Karen? How would you describe Very it? Very similar. The question that I'm left asking, which I have a lot of clients, and I know you have the same, ask me, how do I get from my thinking mind and my head to that place of deeper trust mm -hmm. and and my gut, right? You've referred to gut a couple of times and you said solar plexus, right? That part of our, our belly that's just above the belly button. I know you and I have some different techniques that, that we share with clients. How do you get there? Is it is it meditation? Is it movement? Is it a combination of that? Drawing, writing, the, what is it? Yeah, that's a great question. It's all of the things. It is meditation for me. Um, it's tapping that you showed me. Um, but I have a really great story of, for me, one of the biggest things I needed to do to be able to hear that knowing or, or feel that was to trust myself and trust my body again. Because when you um, are a survivor of sexual abuse or assault, this decompartmentalization happens, right? Like I'm able to detach from my body and not be in my body because my body's not safe. And so being able to trust that my body is safe again was really, really critical. And one of the ways that I do it, and I never really understood it till this last couple of weeks ago, is I do things 
that challenge me physically and then show myself that I can accomplish it. And so it was a beautiful experience to watch. Um, I signed up for a Spartan race and funny story. I didn't know what it was. I mean, my friend, my one friend, our friend, mutual friend, Kendra, Ultra Crush, she does a lot of them and I've listened to her, but I never, I like didn't internalize really what it was, but I'm at the gym and they're like, Hey, we need some people on our team to do a Spartan race. Will you do it? I'm like, Oh yeah, sure. They're like, it's a 5k. You're a runner. You can do it. I'm like, yeah, no problem. Kendra can, can do it. 5K. So can I. No problem. They forgot to tell us, well, they forgot to tell me that between the 5k, there's a million obstacles of things. And so when I'm starting to research, people are training for a long period of time. It's pretty physical. I didn't train, show up on race day, pouring rain. And I'm watching, again, I'm an observer. I'm watching my mind and my mind is saying, this was a really dumb idea. You're going to hurt yourself. Let's just get back in the car and, and turn around. And I said, thank you for that input. That was probably pretty logical, but we're going to do it. But going through all of those physical obstacles that I had never trained for, never seen, and didn't think that I, I honestly didn't know if I could physically do it and being able to overcome them. And there was one obstacle in particular that what it was, I mean, it was raining, it was cold, it was windy, it was slippery, it was wet, it was muddy, all those things. We're climbing vertically and it's at least 20 feet, maybe 30 feet on this cargo net. And then it's like a 12 inch like bridge that you throw your leg over and then climb back down. And at any point, if you let go, I don't know how they do this. It's like cement on the bottom. And so I'm really scared. And I'm telling myself, like, at any minute, you could let go and really get hurt. Like, this is really scary. I'm not sure I can physically get over it. And I get to the top. And I heard, again, from, from me, from my knowing, that, you know what? I, I've got you. Like, when any, all else fails, trust me, as in myself because we can get through this and we got through it and doing those exercises continually remind me that I've got me and that I can trust me. And so there's a lot of ways you don't have to climb crazy walls and do all these things, but that's one could. of the ways <laughs> you could. If you or jump to. out of an airplane or do some dance competition. <laughs> yes. Yes. See, good. This makes me feel normal. Yes. But it's this reminder that I can do hard things, we can overcome, and that I can trust myself. And that's how I've gotten, really gotten to a deep relationship with my body, with my knowing, being able to access that part of me that was closed off for, I mean, really like 20 years. Thank you for being so candid about your life's experiences and how you're working through uh, or have worked through this most recent decision, which again, after almost two years, right, of really staking your claim in entrepreneurship mm -hmm. and, and showing up and, and very quickly have a, having a thriving practice because of all the work you had done both in nonprofit and corporate uh, for years in small business. Then to do an about face and say, well, this is really best for me career-wise, for this organization that I love and have become an intimate part of and my family and all that. You and I are talking about, my term is always the underbelly, right? We're talking about the things that most people don't talk about publicly. Maybe they talk about with a best friend or a therapist or a counselor or a spouse. And just as many people don't have anybody they can talk to because I get it because you, <laughs> we, we've done this work together and I've been doing it for a long time, as have you. 
we have multiple personalities, basically, is kind of what it comes down to. Because as you're talking about, you know, I'm talking to myself on the top of this big rope thing, or, or I'm driving and I get in my car and one minute I'm fine, the next minute I'm bawling my eyes out. And, I'm, you know, we're having, we have these conversations with ourselves anyway. So what Jen is saying, and obviously what I'm <laughs> summarizing is, Start paying attention to the voices, the many, many voices in your head, and they all want to have something to say about who you are in any given moment. And when we get into trouble is when we make any of those voices wrong. Mm-hmm. And we want to shut them up and we want to close them down and put them behind lock and key and, and tell, you know, tell them you don't have a say here. We can do that, which you modeled. You know, mm-hmm. thank you very much for the warning. We're still going. And so you acknowledge that scared part of you that said, turn this car around. What are you thinking? We're going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, I hear you. So part of this process is to say, I hear you. I get it. And and I, I've got us. We're, we're good, right? I have, uh, again, it sounds a little wacky. And yet we're all having conversations within our mind anyway, between our ears that no one's privy to. So might as well become best friends with all those voices and start to be the director, either the orchestra leader at the front of the orchestra. All right, trombone. Thank you very much. Now fall still. <laughs> all right, drums go, right? the conductor, uh, working traffic at a train station. So whatever the metaphor works for you, start to pay attention, I think is what we're saying, to the voices that go on inside your head and befriend them. And then also tell them when their work is done and give them a different assignment. (laughs) Yeah. And I think just like a conductor, right? Like understanding who's making sure that one instrument isn't talking more than the others or like having that balance and, and hearing from all the different pieces and parts of you are really important because it's really, I mean, we're taught from a very early age to be up here in our brains and have our thinking minds. And, you know, we think about logic and reason and all of those things. And that plays a very important role, but that's where we can be most of the time if we're not intentional. The Spartan race is a big example of like those things that I like to do periodically to like really test, but it's also those daily practices, right? It's those tiny little things that you do every day because you and I both know when you do have something big, if it's a transition or a life event and you don't have those muscle memory, that's a really hard place to be to try to bring in some of these practices. So for me, and I'd love for you to share your practices as well, is I've started and I've done this periodically off and on through the years, but I've committed January 1st this year and continued to keep my practice is before I do anything else in the morning, I think about one thing that I'm grateful for. And it's not just a thought process, right? So for a while, it's been like this, like, oh, it's a task. It's a thought. Like, let's just think about something. But this year, my intention has really been to bring it into a body experience again. So I know when I've hit on something that I'm deeply grateful for, when I feel it in my body, it feels like warm. And if it's a person, I will visualize them in my mind and really take the time to connect to that gratitude. And then I capture it. I have a one sentence journal that I capture the brief thought every day so I can reflect on it as we go. But doing that every day before I touch my phone, before I get up, before I think about my millions of to-dos, that has really been a game changer for me and a reminder of like gratitude is the highest vibration that we can energetically vibrate at. And starting our days in gratitude has changed just the way that my days go. Of course, there's still frustrations and all the things, but it just sets me off on a different path. And then it is the the meditation or mindfulness. It's a few minutes of quiet breathing. 
it's the checking in a few times a day. Like, how am I feeling? What am I needing? It's doing those things consistently that really help me stay in touch with, with me and my, my inner voice. But Karen, talk to me about what you do. Similar. I don't have a journal that I'm using right now. Uh, and for me, the gratitude is in the evening when I settle into bed. I like to reflect on what am I grateful for the day. And in the morning when I wake up, I will do, it's not quite tapping, but I'll do tummy, uh, you know, suck in my tummy, like deep breathing through my stomach a hundred times. And then I'll get up and do some tapping before I go wake up Ivan. And sometimes he's even up before me and he just can hear me doing my thing with or without music. A good 15 to 20 minutes of soul-centering, mind-body-spirit coming together uh, so that I can address my day. Everything that we're describing are high vibration activities. I'd love for contrast to, to give some people who may not have that, again, that language, give some contrast to what are low vibration activities. And we all participated. I mean, you know, looking at my phone, spending more time on social media than, than maybe I had expected to, eating fast food or food with that, that aren't going to fuel me, sugar, that sort of thing. Those are low vibration things, getting, getting in an argument and, and getting an argument isn't necessarily low vibration, but staying there and, and attempting to win. Like, I think a great takeaway for people, along with many other things that you've shared, would be to start paying attention to, again, being a witness to ourselves and what is feeding my soul, what are high vibration activities, and what are low vibration activities, and how can I cap those or eliminate them altogether. So one of the other things I do is set my phone to shut off all the apps except for emergency phone numbers for my kids and my dad at a certain time at night. And then I, I don't have access to those things until I've done my meditation, my, my tapping in the morning. And have there been times that I wake up in the middle of the night and I, you know, I get up and my phone's also not in my room because if it's there, I'm going to look at it. Have there been times I've been, oh, let me just go and look and see. And I have those little reminders set to hold me accountable to staying in a high vibration place because some of that is very seductive and uh, tempting. So I've had to put some safeguards and some guardrails uh, in my life to make sure that I'm, I'm on the track to, again, be the best version of myself. Any other thoughts that you want to explore or share as we uh, kind of move on to the next area of topic that I want to make sure we cover? No, I love that. Just one quick addition is I also have my phone go to sleep at 9.30 and then it wakes back up at like six in the morning or something. So all the notifications are, are silenced. But um, Instagram and I believe Facebook has also just come out with a an update where you can silence and put your Instagram on sleep for, and it doesn't have to be nighttime. It could be anytime. And I started doing that and just the difference that it makes to give yourself that break is incredible. So I highly recommend if anyone doesn't have it set to think about it. Yeah. And for some people listening, they'd be like, I'm not even on social media very much. And then there's you and I, who part of what we do career-wise involves social media as digital creators. Uh, and so to have those safeguards uh, in place are great. What would you suggest, and maybe you've already spoken to it, but is there anything else that you would suggest to someone who is unsure of what to do in a situation that they're faced with? We've already talked about, you know, make sure that you're having some of these self-care practices in place and it's just part of who you are so that when that, come, that time comes, you've got that muscle built. But is there something else that you would encourage people to consider as they're faced with decisions or challenges that they may not be prepared for? Yeah, I think it's the same thing that I tell business owners all the time is when I do strategic planning with them, I'm always centering them on what are their five core value words and what is your purpose? 
So like, what is your why? Organizations should have them. Individuals definitely have them. But thinking through that lens. So anytime you make a, a business decision, coming back to that and is it aligned to our why? Is it really going to further that why, right? Because there's so many shiny objects and we can get distracted all over the place. Is it going to support that? And then the lens with which you look through that is your five value words. So is your decision in alignment or in conflict with the things that you say you value most? Um, And you can do that on a personal and professional level. And I think business owners are, at least the ones I work with, are getting really good at it. And, you know, purpose-driven business is becoming more and more of a focus. But I think as individuals, sometimes we forget about it. We think about this big lofty purpose. I think it causes a lot of angst as for younger people who are like, what is my purpose? And the thing that I've learned along the way that's been super helpful for me is your purpose doesn't have to be this one phrase that's just like, this is the same purpose you'll have now versus when you're 88. It will grow and evolve as you grow and evolve. And it can change. And sometimes we don't give ourselves the latitude to be able to make adjustments. The cool thing, though, is many people will see a red thread or a line that goes through the purpose. So the way in which you execute your purpose may look different, but you'll see a common theme even as it grows and evolves. But to really come back to that um, and really think about that. And that was that was a big piece of my decision as well was my purpose, my, my Jennifer Burwell purpose is to help build a world that's more equitable, inclusive um, for all people. So Sark was, you know, really aligned to that purpose and furthering that. And that's what I wanted to do with, with my business too, as my founder is I really believe that innovation and entrepreneurship is a path forward to, to help create that better world. And I think that there's so many gates to entrepreneurship that don't allow people with great ideas to get into it. So that, that was, that's how I express my purpose through mother and founder. And now with Sark, how I'm expressing my purpose is helping work um, in the autism community so that it is, our communities are more inclusive for neurodiverse people. But so see, it, it's it's different ways, but the same common thread. And I think coming back to that um, is really powerful and anchoring and can help you get the confidence to make the decision. And sometimes we just forget to come back to it because it's in us. Again, it's that listening piece that's in us. But if we don't articulate it, um, it's hard to have it be part of the decision-making process. So much gold in what you've just shared. Uh, so when we are clear about our purpose and our core values, and we have them in writing, and mm-hmm. we revisit them often, then when we have decisions, big or small, we can use those at the as the North Star or the lighthouse and the guideposts mm-hmm. to say, I'm on the right track. Or we might find that an offer comes up or an opportunity comes up and, and like, I'm not seeing where this fits with my purpose or my core values. And so it's the decision can be quicker to a no, mm-hmm. even though it might be tempting. We like the person who gave the offer or maybe it means more money or, or you know, whatever it is. If it's not in alignment with who we are at that um, real baseline, uh, then the decision can be really solid. And in this case that you've described um, early on in our conversation, it felt easy from the beginning because you know who you are at your core and it did fit into this this purpose. Would it be okay if I if we collectively gave a shout out to Peak Fleet and Brian Stinson and Jen? Yeah. Uh, for our listeners who may not have ever done core value work, 
Uh, there is a company and dear friends of ours, Brian and, and Jen, um, own Peak Fleet. And there's an incredible deck of cards, which, Jen, I know that you're, uh, you contract with them and you use these deck of cards. So maybe you could speak to it a little bit more clearly than I could. Uh, but maybe that might be a great resource for someone listening today who doesn't have their purpose written down or their core values mm-hmm. clearly articulated and accessible in those moments that they need them. Yeah, absolutely. That is um, So Peak Fleet has been instrumental. I have done many, many different values exercises and there's no right or wrong way to get to your value words. But what I love about the approach Peak Fleet has done is they've simplified it. It can Sometimes it feels so overwhelming that we just don't start. So they've created a deck of cards with the most common value words and definitions and they're beautiful cards. And you go through a process to weed them down to what is ultimately your five most important and they do them, you can do them for organizations, individuals, they have a student copy. So if, if anyone's graduating and, you know, making that transition and wants to understand what's important to them, they also have it online. So you don't have to buy the physical cards. You can do it online, but it's a really quick and simple process. And every time I've been through it hundreds of times, and every time we get to a result where they're like, wow, I don't know how we got here, how we pulled this out of me, but this accurately this describes either my company culture or myself. From a parent place, it's been probably two years ago that I did the core value exercises with the deck of cards with my then 13-year-old son. It was at an important time in our life where we were transitioning. It was going to become just the two of us instead of a family of three with uh, his dad involved. Thank goodness the kid loves games and he had pizza in front of him because he easily, easily mm-hmm. took to it. It was fascinating how different his core values are from mine. And and um, mm-hmm. I remember, to me, honesty is everything. That was not even in his second tier. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this explains a lot. Not that he's not an honest kid most of the time. It just isn't a core value. And so yeah. the, the blessing that that um, exercise gave both of us is to have an opportunity to talk about you know, why these things are important to us, the way that Brian and Jen have us do use the core values is, and I, you might have the language better than me, but our, our core values, and then there's the kind of the mid-tier ones or the ones that are not necessarily not important to us, but they aren't top tier. Mm-hmm. And so Ivan and I got to have a conversation around, you know, this this is how I show up and this is why, because these things are important to me. And he got to the same, the same thing, you know, now I understand, Mom, because I see that that's important. You display it all the time. And that's not even something I think about. So uh, great, mm-hmm. great uh, company, Peak Fleet, Core Value. I, is, is it called Core Value, the Core Value Card Deck? I don't know, matter, but I they can look like, it up. <laughs> Peak, yeah, Peak Fleet. Like Good. I yeah. love it. Well, thank you for giving us an opportunity to, to give a shout out to that. Yeah. And you made me think of something um, as we're talking about parenting and, and the differences in kiddos. And I, like probably many parents, I'm always reading books and listening to podcasts and all the things about like how to be a better parent and how to teach our kids are the things that are important to us, our core values. And to your point, maybe it's not something that's taught and maybe it's okay that they're different, but I think every family wants to have things that we are, that are really important and, and lessons that we want to teach our kids. So for years we've been doing on the topic of gratitude, we've been doing this. It's it's called different names, but what we call it is your, your best and worst of your week Mm -hmm. or, or your day. So every day at dinner, we go around the table and we have all the kids share what was your highlight of the day? What was the worst part of your day? And we've added two things in the last maybe year and a half, um, which is one is what is your, what are you grateful for? Cause I really, really want to encourage this attitude of gratitude. 
and it's fascinating. So I have a four-year-old, a six-year-old, and an eight-year-old. And I was going to. I wanted you to share ages just in case, because this is these are young kids who are now in these kinds of conversations all the time with you and Brett. The things that they're grateful for is interesting. They're getting the hang of it. We're doing it more, but I mean, my four-year-old's been doing it since she was like could talk since she was two. All of them have been doing it, so. They, they are really used to it and it's, it's their favorite part of dinner. But the last question that I started adding was, who have you helped today? And that comes from a podcast that I listened to about how do we teach empathy for kids in kids. And one of the ways is just for giving them tangible examples and teaching them to not only be the helper, but to look for the helper. So we can, we, if they haven't helped anyone, we like talk through some examples or who helped you today to really begin to be aware of that's what we do in building this community. So it's been fascinating to add that question. I don't know how, like by the time they're 18, we might have like 10 questions, but just going through that every day and watching them and their growth and then having them try to go at school the next day and look for an opportunity to help. That's been really fun to watch. So love it. So we we only have about 12 minutes left. Oh Super gosh. fast, big, big conversation. Let's uh, have you reflect on as you make this transition to a nonprofit uh, executive leadership role from entrepreneurship. What are your thoughts on entrepreneurship? Are you just like tossing us all aside and saying poo-poo? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, so entrepreneurship will always have my heart. I come from a family of entrepreneurs. I've owned multiple businesses. I love entrepreneurship. And that was part of the hardest part of this decision was I love, absolutely love what I'm doing. I love the people I get to work with. Entrepreneurs are some of the most incredible, generous, kind, hardworking people I've ever known in my life. And I really believe that we fuel this entire country. (laughs) So what I want to do when I want to continue to do is I'm going to be shifting my Instagram account a little bit and I've continued, I plan to continue to show up there. I, the frequency might not be quite as much, but what I want to do is take some of the lessons I'm learning from leadership, from a larger organization and see how I can share things that help make small business either better, more effective, efficient, leadership lessons, life lessons. I also, when I started my Instagram account, which is really what started Mother and Founder, it started with, hey guys, I'm making a big shift, which is interesting. I'm jumping off a ledge. I'm going to start my own business. Come along on this journey with me. And that's what this space is going to continue to be is I'm making another shift. And guess what? I'm still a mom trying to figure out how to be a working professional and a mom. I'm still leading teams. I'm still interested in business. I'm still interested way interested in entrepreneurship. And so I feel like I've built a really strong community and want to continue to serve. It'll look a little bit different, but I still want to be a place to share. Hey, like what we started this conversation, life is messy. There's lots of emotions and different things that happen and we can talk about it and we'll come together. And of course, mental health is always going to be a big passion of mine as well, because I really do feel like no matter what role you're in, um, if you're human, it is a critical piece. And I, like you, are fighting hard to have this conversation in normal, everyday business conversations because it is so, so critical. We both have seen what happens when you don't care for your mental health. And as leaders, as business owners, as parents, as 
community members, it's really, really important that we take care of ourselves so that we can take care of the people in our, our worlds. I love it. It's interesting. Just this week alone, I had two high-level executive leaders who are really also pretty high profile in the Metro Phoenix area reach out, one I've had coffee with, one we're scheduled to do that. And both men simply wanted to thank me for being so candid and vocal about my only my own mental health journey and all the things that I do on a regular basis to stay real. So I applaud you for, for continuing to do that on your Instagram page and the way you show up as a leader. There, I, I don't think there's ever a time we're not going to be faced with messy every now and again, whether it's something that one of our kids go through, which I've just happened recently, uh, or a colleague or business or something like COVID that's completely out of our control. Yes, the more we can talk about how to manage our own self-care and the things that we can put into practice to help us be the best version of ourselves is a very important conversation. And I'm grateful that you and I have been doing this for a while in the Metro Phoenix area and, and people are now um, acknowledging it and appreciative and learning from it, which is super great, uh, especially our men who have been taught to you know shove emotions down and, and not pay attention. So it's, yeah. it's neat because you and I are not saying there's one way to do it. <laughs> and, and I would never encourage anybody to do it the way that I do it or that you do it. If it's not fitting, everybody's got to find their own way through it. You simply have to make a commitment to being the best version of yourself. Again, mind, body, and soul and being fully expressed too, really is what it comes down to. So awesome. Let's have you kind of shift gears as we wind down. Thoughts on being professional and a mother. You've already mentioned how young your kids are, and, and two of them have some special needs that require a little extra attention, both not only from you and Brett and extended family and friends, but also uh, teachers and professionals so that they have the best, they live the best lives as well, right? So yeah. how do you how do you manage all that? What is What are your thoughts around being professional and a mama? Oh boy, that is a big question. <laughs> and I gave, you, I gave you yeah, seven minutes. <laughs> really go back to our prior prior part of our conversation is I have worked through a lot of what we all go through. I think as or many of us as a parent, when you have this children or babies and it becomes all consuming and, you know, self-care goes out the window and you have to give everything for your family or your career. And at the end of the day, you feel like you're depleted. And so I made a shift about a year and a half ago that I just couldn't do that anymore. And I prioritize my own self-care and I have worked through a lot of feelings of guilt. There are times where it inconveniences my family. There are times even when like my kids or my husband will roll their eyes at like, cause I'll be like, no, I can't do this because I'm going to get a massage. And for me, again, you have to find your own combination that works. But for me, massage is really important. So I just have set that boundary and, and, um, it's been really uncomfortable and it's been hard sometimes, but I am able to show up so much better as a mom and as a professional by doing that work. So for me, my biggest lesson, I mean, I don't have any great magic bullet because it's really complicated and complex and it's still really hard. But for me, my non making my non-negotiable list of what I'm not going to bend on, period. So for me, it's exercise. It's getting the of like right amount of sleep every night. I mean, granted things come up, but I really stick to my bedtime. And, and when I wake up, it's doing my self-care thing. So I have a massage therapist. I go to a stretch person. I work with you, Karen. At like, these are the things that I do so that I can show up the best way. And it's made all the difference in the world. 
And as soon as I stopped telling myself the story of, I don't have time, it's too much money. I shouldn't spend the money on me. I, I should do something else. Like when I stopped all that, it's made a big difference. So. Yeah. Cause then you can show up for everybody else. Yes. <laughs> but now, tell me what do you, how have you navigated this? Cause you've been in this game a lot longer than me. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, and I'm, but 20 years older <laughs> and have kids in their late 20s and my youngest is 15, I had to learn the hard way. It was a um, emergency hysterectomy and appendectomy all in one surgery when I was uh, working very hard to sell a business with a handful of partners and made that my priority for almost a year and a half and basically left my body for a year and a half and landed in the hospital. I thought never again, which I haven't. That was seven years ago. That's when I was introduced to tapping up at the Sedona Mago Retreat Center. And now I teach it to clients and practice on a regular basis. And it took me a huge life crisis, and I've had a handful of them since then, and I'm grateful that I've made self-care my priority. Uh, it was funny because Daryl's in the studio with me, and when you said my family and husband rolled their eyes, I heard a little laugh <laughs> from Daryl, right? Because we, I, and I, I can't speak for Daryl, but oftentimes we feel like the way that people respond to how we show up to take care of ourselves might appear selfish. Mm-hmm. And I know that happens for, for me. Likewise, I make it a priority. Exercising, tapping, meditating, stretching, those are important things. I also get a massage once a month. There were many, many months that I wasn't able to afford that. And so I found other ways to to make sure that I was nurturing my, my skin and my body and my muscles and that sort of thing. So you and I are not advocating for going out and spending money that you don't have, <laughs> you know, and self-care doesn't necessarily look like a spa weekend once a quarter or once a year or getting your nails done. Those things are not bad and they are self-care. What you and I are talking about is that deep inner knowing that you spoke of earlier and keeping the warmth in our body and knowing how our body responds to emotions and the environment around us. And so, yeah, I, I love it. I had postpartum depression when my kids were two and four, my oldest, and I didn't know how to navigate through that. And that's really was the beginning for me, even it's been, you know, gosh, 20 years. That was the beginning for me saying, I have to do life differently. I have got to figure a way way to be the best parent I can be. And I quickly found through research and reading and therapy and that sort of thing that that is, is exactly what you said. The best way for me to be the best parent, the best VP, the best employee, teammate, friend, whatever it is, partner, is to take care of me the best way I know how and, and heal some of those wounds that continue want to, to run the show <laughs> and make peace mm-hmm. with them. So I love that you um, have shared that with us and given me the opportunity to share as well. Uh, as we close out, let's talk a few minutes, if you would, about the power of connections and relationships, because I know for you, um, you're so well connected and such a great relationship person. How does that fit into your life? And what do you want to share about that as we close out? Yeah. I think for me, the quicker we can all realize we're all connected, (laughs) the better this world would be. And I just think building relationships. So there's so much chaos in the world, right? There's like all this like recent bank stuff and there's AIs taking over the world and all this stuff. What we as humans uniquely can do is build relationships and connection with each other. And I think that that's one of the things I love about the small business community is when you do it well, it's all about relationships and not the relation one-sided, like what can I get from people, but true connection of support and helping each other. And every, all of the relationships that I have, I'm so grateful for. And I'm so grateful that they don't just end because I decide to take a different path. 
but they've also gotten me 100% to where I am today without people in my life supporting me, connecting me. I always, there's that quote that floats around every once in a while on social media. That's like, have people in your corner that will advocate or say your name in rooms that you're not in. And I am so, so grateful that I have so many of those people in my corner. And I'm absolutely grateful that I get to be that person for so many people. And Mm -hmm. so the number one cause of like early death or is, is loneliness and not connection. You know, I don't know if I have that sad exactly right, but the, the main point research over and over is said that people who are lonely are much a higher risk of death. And so find your people, make connections. It's really all we have. Yes. And alongside that, again, statistics show that not only being, you know, feeling alone and separate, with that comes a loss of hope. Mm-hmm. And when we lose hope is when suicidal ideation creeps in and depression creeps in and takes over. So there's much to be said for reaching out, connecting. And part of connecting, if, if you don't feel like you're good at it, listening, like practice listening mm-hmm. to other people without having to fix something for them or to, to, to match what they're saying or to just sim- simply be in, less, in listening and know that Jen and I are both available for uh, helping get in the right direction. Uh, even though her plate is going to be very full, she'll she'll send you some to over to someone like me. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I am so grateful for this opportunity and invitation to host your show, <laughs> The Messy Middle, and would love for you to close it out with whatever lasting thoughts you have one last time uh, before we have the outro mu- music take us out and um, say goodbye for today. All that's coming up for me is that I'm just so grateful. I'm grateful for you. Grateful for Daryl. Thanks, Daryl. Wonderful producer. And thank you to everybody who's listening. Well, we wish you the best in your endeavors in the future. And uh, we know you're not going anywhere. We'll be watching for you on Instagram. And and uh, I've got you on speed dial, so you're not going anywhere no matter what. <laughs> All right. Phone call away. That's right. Thanks again. You have been listening to the Messy Middle Podcast and Radio Show presented by Mother and Founder Co. We hope you have found a few pieces of wisdom to help you navigate your own messy middle. Be sure to subscribe to The Messy Middle on your favorite podcast platform and follow Jen Burwell and Mother and Founder Co. on Instagram. Remember, beginnings are usually scary and endings can sometimes be sad, but it's the middle that counts the most. Until next time, stay curious, kind, and messy.